Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Congratulations, you've found The Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening, thank you for subscribing, and thank you for leaving us all those reviews on iTunes. We do appreciate them. They are very important. Please keep them coming. If you want to get involved in the general conversation, come follow me on Twitter. I'm at jbeardmore. This podcast is at The Rugby Dungeon. And, of course, if that's not enough rugby for you, every Monday, without fail, post Lions now, there is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the world's biggest rugby podcast, out every week without fail, even in the off-season. So go find me, Tim, and Phil there. I could not be more excited about today's guest. So here it is, this week's Rugby Dungeon. Now, it's my pleasure to talk to someone who I've wanted to talk to since the inception of this podcast. Finally got the opportunity to do it. It's Exeter's number 10 and Premiership champion Gareth Steenson. How are you, Gareth? I'm very well, Johnny. Sorry it's taken so long to get in touch with you, but nice to be involved now. How does that sound when anyone says Premiership champion? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very it's a bit surreal still. It's sort of sinking in a little bit now that we've been back a few weeks now training, and um, you know it's definitely very nice. I never thought I'd hear those words coming after my name, if I'm being honest. You know, from where we've come and stuff. So it's it's a very nice place to be. Oh, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, just describe how it was um, when that final whistle went, and then what did you and the boys get up to straight after? Oh, look, straight after it was sheer relief more than anything. I think just that initial um, it was the, the way the game ended as well obviously with it being such a tight affair and then having to hold on to the ball for two minutes because that was probably the longest two minutes of our, our lives not <laughs> and you know there was so much riding on it but we, we, we'd done that you know, practice those scenarios and it was great to see it finally um, come to fruition and whenever it actually the whistle went it was just sheer relief um, and then we just sort of you don't know who you were talking to or hugging each other after it you know but um, it's quite funny because uh, the only thing you can really remember is the moments after the game. I can only sort of envisage everything now through a television. Yeah, it's very strange whenever you look back at things, but yeah, it was um, it was a great great experience, and obviously the walk around the pitch after was great that I could do that with my family as well. So moments I'll cherish for the rest of my life. When you sat down in the change room afterwards, was it that elation or was it just a huge adrenaline dump? I, I can't work out how, um, how it must feel. Oh no! Once we got back in together as a group, Rob was very much once we, you know, went round the, went round and seen the supporters, and you know, just had a bit of time with our families. It was very nice that we could all just sort of go in as a group and have a huddle in the change room after, and just sort of, you know, basically say, lads, congratulations! You know, we've done it. We'd been in the exact same change room the year before, and we had a different kind of conversation. And yeah. we're standing twelve months, twelve months on, and 
after the start we had, it was just fantastic to share it as a group. And uh, there was a few a few drinks taken in there. It was very special to be able to sit and have a, some real nice conversation with each other and just share a bit of time with each other. Yeah, after that Saracens game, did you feel it might have been your year? Because Saracens have been such a pain for you in the previous couple of years. Oh no, like I think um, we were quite confident whenever we were going into the semi-final with Saracens because we we were quite fortunate that they they had obviously played such an emotional game the week before in the final, and we had had two good solid weeks of pre-season. And we always feel like we, we've always been in good games with Saracens. We've always been. We've never really been blown away by them as such, and we kind of always feel we've got a game that can match them, and sometimes, you know, obviously take them as well. So we we were confident going into the match, and obviously being at Sandy Park was a huge thing for us to have as well. And actually, one of the that was definitely the the semi final was probably one of the best atmospheres I've ever experienced at Sandy Park. Yeah, you know, throughout my entire career, I remember arriving at the ground and we go for a run around at about an hour and a half by four kickoff and. The ground was nearly full at that point, and I remember getting goosebumps just going for a run around in the warm-up. You know, so it was there was definitely an emotional charge of the whole thing was was fantastic. But we still left it a bit late to get the job done, but thankfully we did. As a diligent interviewer would do, I've been on your Wikipedia, and I'm, I'm trying to work out how it is because obviously listening to you, you're clear, clearly from Ulster, but mm-hmm. your first club registered is Rotherham. So how did you go from Northern Ireland over to Yorkshire? Well, um, I was in the Ulster Academy at the time for about two, three years, and I'd done all the age grades with uh, Ireland and went right through. And I spent um, a couple of years with um, Queen's University, and then I went on to Dungannon Rugby. And I wasn't really getting a chance to play for Ulster. I was sort of in the development sort of contracts. And um, it came. To, it basically came to head that... Um, David Humphreys was going to have another year. I was sort of waiting to him for for him to retire, really. And when Mark McCall told me that, uh, yeah, we're going to keep David for another year, it was sort of, right, I've either got to go find a job here or, you know, I've got to try and do something a little different. And thankfully, a guy called Andre, Andre Bester, who coached Belfast Harlequins at the time, yeah. was... Um, he had, he had moved over to Rotherham and he'd, he'd already asked me the year before to go, but I was still trying to hang on to potentially get a chance to play for Ulster and... By that stage, I didn't really have any option, and I took a leap of faith, and you know, went with, went with uh, Andre for a year, and really enjoyed my time at Rotherham, and gave me a taste of playing at what was National League rugby at the time, and it was probably one of the best decisions ever made. Uh, did you have dropping down into what might have been consi- considered an inferior league? Because obviously, if you had your shot at Ulster, it'd be straight into Pro 12 rugby and the top level for that nation. Well, no, I never, because I've never really had an opportunity to play at Pro Pro 12 Rugby or the Celtic League as it was mm. at the time. And for me, it was just a stepping stone to really go. Like, to me, it was a step up because I was playing club rugby at home, which, no disrespect to the leagues at home, it's just not, it's not anywhere near as competitive or, you know, you're playing with guys who are in, in similar position to myself, trying to get contracts with uh, provincial clubs. And for me, it was a... It was a complete leap of faith a wee bit because I knew nothing about the league. I knew nothing about Rotherham. I remember arriving into the clubhouse and never seeing the place before. And, you know, I, there wasn't even sat-navs back then. I had to print out the the directions online and had them all sitting beside me in the car and the drive over. So it was quite... Uh, I had to grow up pretty quick, um, which for a bloke from Northern Ireland who never really went away from home was quite a big thing. Yeah, so fill in the blank then between then and going to Cornish Pirates because that strikes me as where it all started to really take off for you. 
Yeah, well, no, I think when I was at Rotherham, it was very, we had a very good team. We had a very, with a team based around a big forward pack, which was uh, had Henry Faree, these guys who actually went on and played for England. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a real strong South African based pack. And we, uh, I think our top try scorer that year was uh, Mr. P. Try. So <laughs> I think we got a lot of scrum penalties. And I think we had 17 scrum uh, penalty tries in the year. So. You know, we had a real strong pack and we ended up um, just one win behind Leeds who got promoted that year. So, and then it was just really, I got an opportunity that Cornish Pirates had obviously played against them a couple of times. They said, look, we're interested in you coming down. And, you know, it was just another step along the, lo- the ladder. It was um, Cornish Pirates were a professional club, um, whereas Rotherham weren't really at the time. We were still semi-pro and we were training in the evenings. But for me, Cornish Pirates, it was a big, big change again, obviously moving from Yorkshire right the whole way down the other end of the country but it was another opportunity I never got a chance back home nobody came knocking asking how you doing Gareth would you like to come back so I took another chance and away I went and did a year down there and um, it was a it was a good year for me um, from a professional point of view but personally it was a year that was quite tough because I lost my father that year okay. he died of bowel cancer during it so it was a bit um, I always felt a wee bit far from home when I was down there because trying to get back and forth to see my mum or family and it was mm-hmm. always a bit tough. In hindsight, do you find it weird that no one from Ulster was kind of checking up to see how you were getting on or anyone anyone from Ireland? Because you know, it's not as if fly halves grow on trees, is it? Yeah, well, to be honest, it's, it's never been an option for me. I've never, I know, you know, you could be playing for Ireland and all this, that, and I've never ever been really contacted by anybody. Any provincial side has never come in and asked for me to go home, and I don't really have any interest in really sort of going home to it because I've, I'm very aware that I've spent most of my career, my professional career in England. Mm. Um, you know, and they've been very good to me. That well, obviously the club that I'm at at the minute, but even those two clubs that I was at, it was they were it was great times for me. The learning curve that I got, and I, I probably did it very differently to what. Well, I never would have dreamt of doing it the way I did. Well, to be fair, I don't think anyone's done it really the way that you did, at least not recently. And also, the system is not set up to do it the way you did. Think about the academy credits, think about the eligibility laws about playing overseas. Um, you know, it is very, very unusual. Um, you know, it's... Obviously, that's the way things are, it was for me, and that those are opportunities. That, that was the way it sort of happened for me. It sort of fell into place. I'd be very quick to say to fellas, I would say it to guys more so at home because there is only four provinces at home there's only four you know teams you can maybe get yourself into but you know there is more opportunities across the water i, I kind of know the way guys think back home where you tend to grow up wanting to play for your province but at the end of the day it's a professional sport and as much as there's pride and everything you know mm. wanting to wear the jersey for the team that you've grown up maybe supporting there's great opportunities across the water for guys who want to maybe you know further themselves and you never know the opportunity might come that you get the chance to go back home and maybe play for these sort of teams. But for me, I probably, like I said, I went a roundabout way of doing it. And at no point did I ever think that that's the way it would happen for me. But it just was the way it was paved out for me. Hmm. Are you quite a confident individual? Um, I'm quite confident in my own ability, yes. I've, I'm quite well used to being told that I'm not good enough to do things. But... I've probably got a wee bit of a grit about me. It's sort of a determination that I'll always try to, you know, get to that point. Yeah. And, you know, so I think um, I'm used to always being told you maybe can't, you're not physical enough, you can't tackle, you can't do this. But, you know, it's just, that's people's outside uh, outside opinions, you know. And 
quite confident in my own ability. I kind of know what I can and can't do, and I like to try and do it as best I can, which what's good, you know. Uh, do you mind if I ask, has there ever been a, a particular instance of someone saying something like, you know, you're not good enough for X, Y, Z reason that has really stuck with you? Uh, not Nothing in particular, no. I think I always felt that I was kind of, Kind of funny, um, I would change the statement now, but whenever I was a bit younger, I always felt I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was sort of like, I seemed to be the guys that I sort of grown up with when I think of it, like Tommy Bow and Stephen Ferris, these guys, you know, these are the guys like Rory Best. I trained with all these guys and they seemed to be getting in, getting contract, getting playing, yeah. getting opportunities. And I always seem to be missing out on them. But now I probably say the exact opposite. I feel I'm probably when I joined Exeter Chiefs, I couldn't have joined at a better time. Mm. So I've probably got, you know, when it, and it's all said and done, and it's all went round in a circle. I think I'm in a very good place now, as opposed to what I was thinking whenever I was maybe 20 years old. Yeah, I mean, I always think it's such a remarkable thing to have won not one league but two leagues in this in the same nation. So you often get guys who you know maybe go to Toulon and then they might go somewhere else, and they, you know you can win multiple top level. But to come all the way through is just such an astounding achievement. When you were in the championship, I, I assume you always felt that you were good enough to go up a level. But did you feel that you were always good enough, not only to go up a level, but then to win that next level? Well, that's the first time I ever thought about winning two leagues in one country. I'd never even thought of that. Um, honestly, no, because would ne- I'd never played in the Premiership before. So it was more, when I got over here, it was more, right, I've just got to get got to get playing. It was more about getting contracts whenever I'd first come over and making a career for for myself out of it and then it got to the point when I got to the Chiefs you could see there was ambition of the club to go forward so then you know I bought into that and that was all about going and winning and when I won the league it was more we'd never played in the Prem before as a group and we were very well some fellas had but a lot of guys hadn't and it was about really just going along and enjoying the occasion enjoying being in the Premiership you know never thinking of it as a slog because we were very fortunate we'd been to dark places we'd played and some you know no disrespect to the league, but we played in some places which were, you know, hard to go to. And um, to be in the Premiership, we seen it as a, bit, as a bit of a privilege and a bit of an honour, and we enjoyed every opportunity we got. And it was always about just trying to build and escalate. But I never, I'll be honest, I never thought we'd win, be sitting here, you know, calling us Premiership champions. I never thought I would see the day that I'd be playing in that sort of situation. I definitely thought the club was going forward and would do it. But I think the to do it in our time scale is uh, is pretty special. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's an amazing achievement. And now you're in your testimonial year. Yeah, it's uh, it's strange because I'm I'm only coming in when I come into training this week, you know, and we're sitting down in the changing room. You're looking around you, and there's there's a few of the old heads that used to sit around you are sort of gone, and you're sort of looking. Oh dear, there's only. I'm looking here, we've got about three or four of them left and I'm sitting here and I'm surrounded by 20-year-old kids who are all lifting massive weights and are super quick and super fit and you're like, all right, so I've got to go again to try and keep up with these guys. But um, yeah, like that's just the way things go. That's that's what happens in, in time. But I'm very fortunate to have been at the club for as long as I have and I'm still really enjoying my rugby and I probably feel I'm in a good place physically to hopefully try and hold my own against the young fellas in fitness tests and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, you know, once the season gets up and running, you know, it's 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 very exciting that we can go into it. In a completely different scenario, different challenges now because, you know, we're actually going in as the champions and how would champions want to be viewed? Well, we don't want to go out and, you know, 
just fall away from the wayside. We want to go and drive ourselves forward because we've always talked about going forward as a club, so no reason to stop now. Would you consider one of the main honours now, now that you are Premiership champions, that people are going to start abandoning you as their second favourite team because all of a sudden everyone wants to beat you? Yeah, well, that's fair enough. That's probably what comes with the territory a little bit. We've, um, you know, we've been very fortunate to be always been the plucky underdogs. I think that's been something that's been probably we've always had ever since. Even even last year, whenever we got into the final, we were still the plucky underdogs. We were going to do it, where we're not. But I think we're we've probably moved on a little bit from there now. You know, teams are probably going to turn around and say they're all coming after us, which is it's a lovely place to be for us because it's a like I said earlier, it's a completely brand new challenge to us as a group. Mm. Um, to actually, do we want to do we want to just say, all right, here we come? Or are we going to roll our sleeves up and get on with it and hopefully be better from the experiences of it? I'd like to think that's what we're going to do. I don't think we're just going to sit back and go, oh, we've done it, lads. You know, we've got a lot more things that can be achieved. We can do a lot better in Europe. Yeah, we've only ever met, we've only ever got to the the end or the quarterfinal once. So we want to get ourselves into a knockout stage of that, and we obviously want to try and retain the title that we've got at the minute as well. So. We've got a got a lot of lot of work to do if we're going to keep the keep ourselves as uh, champions of this country. Does the task of retaining the the title feel bigger than the task of actually getting it in the first place? Um, it's hard to say at the minute because we've only done a couple of uh, you know a couple of weeks of pre-season. It's it's a nice like I said, it's completely brand new and it, everybody wants to have new challenges in their career. And, all the young fellas coming through, it's great that they've all had a wee taste of now. They're champions of England themselves and they can push this club on. If we've guys here like 21, 22 years of age who won a Premiership title, they can have 10 years of doing this and then being in the, t- you know, you want to be a top two, top three team in the Premiership year, year in, year out, which means you're going to be going well in Europe. So that's the way we've got to really look, approach it. Now, I alluded to it before, but let's talk about it a bit further. Your testimonial year. Now, forgive my ignorance what do you need to do to qualify for a testimonial and then what have you got planned for this year so yeah i'm going into my 10th season at the club so they've granted me a testimonial year out of out of there you know i've been very fortunate they've said to me that you've been at the club for so long and you've worked so hard so we'd like to you know hope maybe give something back to you um for me you know we've got a few events planned we've um We've got an event planned on the uh, the weekend of the 12th of August where we've got the Classic Lions coming down to play against the team that won promotion that night for us. In oh, wow. The championship. So that that's going to be a really good weekend. We've actually got an evening planned the night before where we're going to have, hopefully, Jack Noel comes back from the Lions tour. He's going to sit and have a conversation about his tour that he's just had. And we've got these guys down for the weekend, like the likes of Mike Tindall coming along, Lee Mears. You know, we've got... JPR Williams is going to be there and just sort of sit down, have a bit of dressing room banter, having a chat and stuff on the night before, just almost like a little supper for guys, um, just so people can come and sit and mingle with these guys. And It's going to be great to see the old championship boys back again. Yeah. You know, they're, it's a huge thing what they've done and it should never be forgotten that the club would never be in this situation to go and win premiership championships or playing in Europe, playing against Toulon, the teams that we've played against, these things wouldn't have happened if, you know, things didn't fall into place, you know, all those years ago. So it's quite a special moment for to get those guys back together and it's going to be a good fun. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. weekend of hopefully we're looking to do a bit of a family fun day leading into it, so... It's not just purely rugby. We're going to try and paint the club in as best light as possible, but that that's for the end of August. So we've got a couple of other things planned. I think we're looking, one of my uh, one of my charities I'm supporting is Macmillan Nurses, so we're going to do a coffee morning for that. Excellent. Um, you know, so we've got things planned throughout the year, but not too many things, but just um, at the minute it's all guns blazing and we're all trying to get ready for the weekend of August the 12th. In my mind, not to tell you your business and what you should do for your testimonial, but I think an event in the standoff would uh, would <laughs> would create considerable interest. Well, I think that's going to be an auction prize potentially, maybe for a couple of events. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting place. It's uh, I haven't been in it. Well, it was it. We're all in it now. To be fair, it was well rated after the final, so I might have to restock it. I haven't been in it recently. <laughs> Uh, um, I've been away on a holiday, so I've been avoiding it the last few weeks. It was pre-season starting again. Tell me, what was the genesis of, of the standoff? Where, where did all, all this begin? Well, we had a player here, Brett Sturgis, for years and years. and He had a bar himself in his garage, which was more for the older guys, which he called the grafters. Ah, so I like he, that. He, he had a bit of a... He, he came up with the idea, and I kind of like the idea of just having... You, you tend to collect a lot of memorabilia over the years, and um, but... My wife doesn't really let me put it up in the house, so it's like well, it's just going to sit in drawers, or you know, it's just it's not on display. So when I moved house and we moved into the next house, we got um, we we had the garage there, and it was sort of just left. I, I, it used to be just a fridge sitting outside, and I would sit outside somewhere like a man cave almost. And um, Brett Brett came round one day and he said, you know, we could put a wee bar just about there. We'll build this. So I was like, all right, fine. He came around and we spent the day at it. The next thing I thought this little bar was just going to be something sitting in the corner. It'd be really simple. <laughs> and once he got the tools out, he's a bit, he fancies himself as a bit of a handyman. Once he got the tools out, the next thing would <laughs> would screwed this thing into the floor and it was, you know, pretty big. And I was like, the wife came home and was like, oh, right. So it is actually a bar. It's no longer my garage. So, uh, yeah, it just sort of escalated. And I've just been very fortunate that suppose with social media and the guys tend to like to come around and just sort of sit and chill out it's somewhere we yeah. come after a game and boys you know they don't go out into town too often so they can just come sit have a drink maybe have a chat about the game maybe watch a bit of telly you know it's just some are just very quiet and reserved well I always thought that um, if I got the opportunity to to interview I would put forward um, a name for another bar which you should either set up or somehow incorporate this into Standoff's name, which is the Exeter Cock Tap. That that has to be the best name for a bar that I can think of. Yeah, it's an interesting one, all right. I'm <laughs> sure someone will come up with one sometime. Excellent. 
Well, let's just turn our attention back to rugby because one of the great moments, I think, of last of last year's Heineken Cup was your visit over to Ulster. Just tell me about that because that was a magnificent game. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a very special occasion for me and for Ian Whitten, especially. You know, oh yeah, of course. You know, it was it was, a, it was very emotional for us going home, and for me, it was the first time I'd well, we've been there in pre-season games, but. To go over there and to play in a European, a big European Cup night was always something that I'd always wanted to do. And albeit I never thought, like when I was a kid, I never thought I'd be wearing a different jersey. I thought I'd be wearing the white one. But, um, you know, I think it just shows where the club comes from because I remember going home on holidays and people coming up to me and asking me, oh, are you still playing rugby? Or I'm playing for extra chiefs now. And people looking at me going, who are they? You know, and here we are on a night, on a Saturday night, I know it was pouring down rain and everything, and here we are playing against Ulster. And, and what was arguably at the time, you know, Ulster had obviously lost their first game and we had lost ours. It was a big game, big fixture, and to get get the thing back on track. And it was a big European night, and the the buzz around it. I know we lost, and it was a bit dramatic how we lost and stuff. But it was definitely one of the most enjoyable games I've had of my career, to be honest. Going back and doing it and. It was nice to get them back to Sandy Park and give them a good hiding. Yeah, yeah, and you really did, actually. Yeah, no, it was, it was lovely, you know. It was, again, it's, it, was, it was a great experience for me to be able to go home and see a lot of my family coming along to see Extra Chiefs playing live where they could drive an hour up the road. And I, I think I had about 20 people in the stands and I had people coming out that I went to school with were all of a sudden texting me and wishing me all the best and... You know, that was a lovely thing for me to be able to go back and see them all as well. So it, was, um, it wasn't a result, but as a game, it was really enjoyable. Um, who do you class as, your, um, as the biggest influences on your career? Um, that's quite hard, really. I'd say my parents were very... I, well, uh, definitely everyone sort of says it, but I had an opportunity... Well, not an opportunity, but I was a, when I was young, I had a chance, really, to... Was I going to play or was I going to have to go and find a job and you know we had some interesting conversations together and they definitely gave me the push to say right you know this is what you want to do take that leap of faith and go off to Rotherham and you know I think that was a massive moment uh, my agent as well sort of it was a massive moment because after I'd got there my father was then diagnosed with cancer so it was a bit mm. it was all a bit much for us at the time but I think if they hadn't pushed me and wished you know put me in the right direction I wouldn't be sitting where I am today. I might be sitting back in Armagh. I don't know what I'd be doing myself. You know, <laughs> might be out in the farm or something. So, I've been very fortunate. You know that they pushed me in the right, right direction. And then obviously I've had a lot of people who helped me along the way. Are you from a rugby family? No, I'm from a soccer family. My uh, my old fella was um, he was the chairman of our local team, which was a prem. Well, they were a Premiership Irish League Premiership team at the time. I'm not sure if they are anymore. Armagh City. Yeah. So he had a lot to do with them going up and being promoted and getting into that league. And to be fair, and I, I actually don't have a clue how they're doing right now. But I, <laughs> that's where I used to go. That's where I used to go on a Saturday afternoon when I was a kid. That was I used to go and play a bit of. I basically went to play mini rugby with the school in the morning because, um, you know, you sort of had to do that with the school I was at. And then it was up to the football club with my dad and watching football in the afternoon so kind of what age did you decide uh, this is what I want to do that, you know rugby is, clear, is is clearly the sport for me and I'm going to pursue it well I think whenever I went to went went to my went to the Royal School Armagh and I, that, I was in the same class as Tommy Bow and these sort of guys and I was kind of like right 
we didn't really have a chance to play football at the school I was at, and I was probably more in. I was more interested in football growing up before I went to you know what we called big big school when I was about twelve years old, and um, I was more. It was just more getting to hang out hang out with your friends, was playing rugby, and you know I was always kind of a sporty sort of bloke anyway. So I was I was more interested in running around chasing the ball than I was in my head and my books and studying. So. Um, that was more of a social thing for me, but I think once I got older, and I always wanted to play sport as a profession, um, and rugby just seemed to be a thing that I was doing a lot of at the time, so that's what I went from there. Uh, and what would you be doing if, if it wasn't rugby then? Oh, I'd probably have went into some kind of line into maybe teaching PE or physical education, because always, you know, my mum was very, my, my parents were both very sporty anyway, and uh, that's the way they sort of went, and um, I was sort of always, I always find myself with my, hand, uh, with my hands in a ball or something like that. But saying that, I finally got my degree this year. So, oh, well, uh, what's that? I, I'm no longer, no longer uh, a fool, as my brother calls me. He's always <laughs> saying to me, "Oh, sure, you, all you do is chase a ball, like you know." But finally, got over the line with. So I've got my uh, leadership and management degree. So thankfully, got that box ticked. It took me to 33 years of age, but I got there. Obviously, you guys, are, you guys are champions, as I've mentioned many times in this podcast so far already. Um, but it does feel like this might just be the beginning of the story because we're starting to see the fruits of the Exeter Academy come through now. Just tell me a little bit about um, about those guys and who you expect to have big seasons uh, next year. Yeah, well, like it's class now that you know we. Had, I think we had four guys away on tour with England. Uh, obviously, Jack going away with the Lions, and um, we've obviously. Campanaro and Tommy Francis going away, but the young guys coming through, like I've already alluded to, we've got guys who've like Sam Simmons, Stu Townsend. These guys have played in Premiership finals. They've now won in Premiership yes. finals. So, you know, they're 20, 21 years of age, and I think there's there was a group that came through with Sam Hill, Henry Slade. A group came through about two, three years ago, and they're all playing international rugby. You know, sort of now, and they're all sort of making names for themselves. We're almost growing our growing our superstars at home which we haven't had to go out and find which is great because they're all these kids have grown up wanting to play for extra chiefs they haven't grown up you know it's almost like me when i was growing up playing for ulster i wanted to play for ulster whereas these guys want to play for us which is great which means their emotional buy-in's fantastic but we've got another little group that's coming through with Stu townsend jack maunder he's been away now he's capped by england you know and these guys are they're getting exposed to high level rugby and I think the way the club's going to go, the way, you know, the, we're all talking in three, four years' time, these guys are going to be 24, 25, 26. You know, the club's in a really good place, and we've brought in a couple like Ollie Woodburn, Ollie DeVoto, these guys again. They're still going to be quite young, and hopefully, if we can hold on to these guys, the nucleus of the squad, you put another two, three years on it. You know, it's it's frightening what the, the club can potentially do. Yeah, Ollie DeVoto, I think, is prob- probably quietly one of the signings of the season uh, how, how have you found him to, to play with this year what does he bring yeah well like I'd say Ollie probably had a bit of a slow start with us he, he probably just getting up to speed with what we do and how things were operated obviously coming from Bath he probably had to make a couple of wee changes to his game but he gets a lot of touches in our in the way we play and he fits our bill really well because he's a big strong boy in the midfield he can pick a pass he can carry really well his communication skills have come on leaps and bounds, but I think that's more confidence in knowing what our game is. And it's brilliant to have the likes of himself and Henry and these guys who can all play in different positions, really. 
you know, and then you've got Campagnaro who adds a, a bit of spark and a bit, yeah. of, a bit of strength. And we've got the old cart horse Ian Whitten if we need to carry up the middle there, you know. So we're, we're quite a good ba- balance amongst us. Do you really all call Jack Noel the king of the pick and go? Or the pick and go king, sorry. Well, that was the most self-proclaimed name have I ever seen one. And I think as soon as he said it, he regretted it because as soon as it was said, we were straight into him. Now, where he's plucked that from, I've never heard those words used before. So I think Thomas Walderman was a wee bit more annoyed um, than anybody else. Yeah, because he genuinely is the pick-and-go king. Oh, Thomas Walderman, yes, 100%. Thomas Walderman from... From a metre out, he always seems to get his hands on the ball and he seems to always seems to finish it off. So, But he's always getting himself in there, which is great. And I have no problem with him. He keeps scoring 20 tries like that. I have no problem with that. Absolutely. Well, I was looking at his stats from the Premiership final and his carrying, I mean, his work rate is phenomenal. He doesn't look like a hard worker. But I think that's like, uh, like 15 carries. Yeah, no, like, to be honest, whenever it comes to fitness testing and everything, Thomas is right up there above everybody else. And he's a bloke who definitely doesn't look like, well, he doesn't worry about what he eats. He's in the cookie club. He's eating <laughs> everything he can get his hands on, you know. And, but he just, his, his engine on him is phenomenal. And he's one of the one of the standout players who's joined us and really added a bit mm. to us as a group. Mm. You know, so his skills that he brings and his talent that he has for us and he's always given more options too well we've got guys in there who can now play a different kind of game because Thomas is there carrying as well as he does which is great yeah uh, and you know you just have to look at your back row options now I mean you might have one of the biggest back rows in the entire premiership uh, lads like Don Almond they're, they're absolutely fearsome yeah no like it's great to have those sort of options in around us you know we've got guys even injured as well to come back into that back row and it's one of the most fiercely competitive. Whenever it comes to the team being selected, that's probably the hardest bit. You know, naming who can do what. But the good thing about that is we can we can play with play in numerous types of ways. But we don't really want to just have them as big and strong and slow. These guys are all very quick and they've got some great skills, and we all work quite hard on it and stuff. So we're quite lucky to have guys like that in there. Uh, now, before I let you go, Gareth, it's currently pre-season and one of the things which fascinates me is uh, the pre-season routine and how hard uh, everyone's working so what have you guys been up to well we uh, we met up two weeks ago we had a pretty pretty light pretty light meet up and then we were whisked away to Portugal for two days so um, I'd say that was more for relaxation and R&R we didn't really do an awful lot on that trip but uh, we got ourselves back in. We did tests and stuff last week. But a normal working week for us just involves, you know, weights most days. We tend to get a, a down day on a Wednesday. So that seems to be the day we'll be finished by about midday. It's more like a recovery day. Get yourself ready for the next two days. Tuesday's a big day. We'll get ourselves down to Exmouth Beach and we'll run up and down the sand dunes and stuff like that. And we like to get into the pool twice a week. So. You know, we've got a few guys who struggle in the pool swimming-wise, but we'll be in the pool at 6.30, um, doing maybe 45 minutes in the pool, and that'll start our day off and get ourselves back a couple of rugby sessions, uh, weight sessions. So long days, but good fun, because this time of the year, I always feel, is really nice because you get the weekends off and 
you can chill out for a couple of days with the family and do things that you don't usually get to do. Yeah, now you just mentioned Portugal there. From an outsider looking in, it looks kind of like Saracens, actually. Like, you guys really enjoy each other's company. Would you say that was one of the secrets to the Exeter success? Well, I think it is. I think you've got to enjoy working together as a group. And you want to be able to go onto the field and sort of have that attitude where that's my mate. You know, I'm going to back him up and he's going to back me up. And it's almost that sort of fighting sort of mentality that, you know, maybe you don't get in places where if you don't go and have that bond and... We try, we try to do little bits and pieces. That's one thing we try to do at the start of each year to go away and just get to know each other. It's another good way to integrate fellas who've maybe not been at the club before. So, um, as opposed to meeting up on the first day and doing a fitness session or yeah. fitness testing, you know, it's not a, I'm, you know, when you rock into that, you're not really interested in talking to the guy next year, focused on trying to get through the day. So, um, it's, a, it's a lovely way to meet. Um, but I'd say as a group, we're, we're all very close and we're, we do try to do things as much as possible, even outside of rugby. You know, our families are all quite integrated with each other. We're all our wives, partners all tend to get on very well. And when it comes to a birthday party for one of the kids, it tends to be all Chiefs lads there with all their kids. So that's lovely to have that because there's a lot of us are not from the area. So we try to integrate everyone as best we can. Have you had many new arrivals this season? I, I, I actually don't think you have. have, uh, have no, you? we haven't. We've had. I'd say we've only got a handful of blokes who've sort of turned over we don't tend to turn a lot of guys over which is quite nice as well so um yeah and there's only like nick white's come in matt cavez has come in but a couple of guys come in from the championship as well so not a whole heap of a lot but there's a couple still maybe to arrive that we, we don't know about yet but we're, we're, we're in good shape and like i said training's been going quite well so far so hopefully we can push on with fantastic um my final question for for the day then well actually my, my final two um as you are such a close squad, if I if I had to push you, I said, right, Gareth, you you got to take two lads out for a beer from Exeter Chiefs. Who are you picking? <laughs> uh, are you wanting best drinkers or are you wanting uh, just just the guys that you'd most like to go for a cu- for a couple of beers with? Not necessarily best drinkers, the guys that you'd pick. Oh well, I would be more tender to go for the older bloke, you know. So probably. If I was put in the spot, I'd probably go for my compadre from uh, Northern Ireland because he enjoys a Guinness with me. So um, I'd take Ian Whitten with me. Um, and I'd probably bring uh, the, the oldest man in the squad, Kai Horseman. I'd bring him along as well because you can always entertain you with uh, you know, with uh, an old tale or something like that. Well, I've, um, I've interviewed Kai and I can com- confirm that is an excellent choice. <laughs> yeah, well, he'd probably bring a good glass of wine or something with him as well, so it'd be all right. Yeah, he's um, he's a sophisticated man. He is indeed. He's interesting. Right. Well, Gareth, thank you so much for your time and best luck luck for this season. Um, just remind everyone where can we find details on your testimonial events? Where can we find you on social media? Yes. Yeah, so um, at Steno Ten Years is uh, the Twitter feed, and it's also on Facebook as well. But if you go to www steno10.co.uk you will find all the information on all my events and everything that's coming up and if you want to buy tickets on things like that just go to that uh, website and you'll find all the info that you need fantastic cheers imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.